So have you ever made a complaint sandwich? The complaint sandwich has been designed by Dr. Guy Winch, author and speaker, psychologist, and it is designed to help you get what you want. So lifehacker.com, by the words of Carlin Flora, give us a little breakdown of what the slices of a complaint sandwich look like. They go like this. The top slice of bread is the ear opener, which prevents the target of your complaint from feeling attacked. The meat of the sandwich is the specific complaint or the request. And the bottom slice is the digestive or a positive grateful statement reinforcing the idea that you are a reasonable person and you are worthy of being helped. Complaint sandwich. There you go. Now, this isn't just something that Dr. Winch throws out in psychology jargon. He actually brown bags it and puts it into real life. Flora goes on to give a little description of once when he had to use a complaint sandwich. She writes, after suffering through months of loud construction from a building site near his apartment, Winch delivered a complaint sandwich to his landlord. He started off by saying how much he loves the building and appreciates the great job the management company does. Then he asked for a decrease in his rent in order to make up for the blow to his productivity as a writer caused by the incessant noise. Finally, he added that he understood that the noise was in no way the landlord's fault, but thought he would be concerned about how it is affecting his so what did he get for his complaint sandwich? He got six months rent reduction. His complaint sandwich worked. So you can forget anything else that you hear today, and all you need to know is this. How do you get what you want? Well, just whip you up a gourmet complaint sandwich, and you can get anything you want in life. That would be the part I actually want you to ignore the complaint sandwich is just one of hundreds, if not thousands, of ideas out on the worldwide interweb for how you can get what you want. But here's the thing about getting what you want. When you get what you want, it's not all it's cracked up to be. See, about the time we get what we want, we want something else. We want something new or we want something different or we want a little more. Somebody put it this way. Success is getting what you want. Happiness is wanting what you get. In a sense, what you want is not what you really want. How do I know that? Well, the Bible gives us this picture of something that tells us this. That when it comes to your life, when it comes to who you are, when it comes to this notion, again, of being happy with what you have, wanting what you get, at the end of the day, there's only one way for your soul to get what it wants. There's only one way for your soul to be happy. Only one way for your soul to be satisfied. And that way is only found in what we will see this morning. Listen as we look at Luke chapter 11, verse 2. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's really teaching us how to pray. And what he teaches them, he's giving them a a model, a, a plan, a guideline, so to speak, a pattern of how they should pray. And he begins with relationship. He tells them to to pray to the God of the universe and to call him Father. See, Jesus didn't want us to think that, that God was some higher power off somewhere, some distant higher power that nobody could ever know. But actually, God is the one who knows you and loves you best. And the one who knows you and loves you best has absolutely no limits anywhere at any time. And that's why Jesus quickly moves to the next part. He, he starts with relationship, but then he moves to respect. He wants us to see that when we pray, we use the name of God as, as hallowed or, or holy. God is holy, holy, holy. He is other, other, other. There is no one like him. There is no one like the Lord of hosts. There is no one like the God of Israel. I love how A.W. Pink describes this. Being infinitely elevated above the highest creature, he is the most high Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. None can thwart him, none can hinder him. And Jesus says, pray to that God as Father. It's good to be a child of that king. Jesus brings us to relationship. He brings us to respect. And then he gives us a a third part of his model or pattern of prayer. And he brings us to rain. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of rain you can look up on your weather app on your phone. This is rain as in the the rule that comes from a, a high and mighty and lifted up throne. And so Jesus... And teaching us to pray says you need to pray to your holy, hallowed Father. And this is what you need to pray. You need to pray your kingdom come. What is a kingdom? Well, some people might hear the word kingdom and they might think of the United Kingdom across the Atlantic Ocean. Some people hear the word kingdom and they might think of Lord of the Rings movie or a Hobbit movie, something along those lines. Somebody might hear kingdom and they might think of, you know, some clanny, crafty, war, modern, fantasy video game thing. Somebody might hear kingdom and they might even think of mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. I don't know. But none of those kingdoms are like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God stands alone. There is absolutely no comparison. The kingdom of God is kind of like the Trinity in that it is one of those things that is fun to describe. There's, there's lots of ways to describe it. And then at the same time, as we sang a little while ago, the kingdom of God is also kind of indescribable. It's, it's too great, it's too awesome, and it's, it's kind of hard to put into words. But we're at least going to try a little bit to describe it. The Bible describes the kingdom of God as having external and internal aspects. So we have two different parts of what the kingdom looks like. So the external aspects would be kind of like this. The fact that the world still exists, the fact that it is existing right now, the fact that your lungs just expanded, 
the fact that for Christians, death is not the end, that, that there is this promise of something more. All of those things are the external aspects of the kingdom of God. And those things are currently working, those things are eventually working, and those things will ultimately work on earth and also in heaven. And then there's the internal aspects of the kingdom of God, which primarily would be centered on the, on the Bible and the scriptures, the truth of God's word. And, and those truths are supposed to rule over our thoughts and our attitudes and our opinions. And so which one is Jesus asking us to pray for? Is, is Jesus saying when he says your kingdom come, are we supposed to be praying about the external aspects or the internal aspects? Yes, that is exactly what he's praying. Both. You see, again, like the Trinity, they're not supposed to be separated. They're distinct, and yet they're one and the same. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for those external things, but we're also praying for the internal things. We are acknowledging the truth of who God is and what he's doing in our life. If my family's driving home from being at the mall, meaning that I would not have been with them at the mall on purpose... If they're driving home from being at the mall and it's a, a huge, gigantic thunderstorm and I'm praying for them to get home safely, I'm not going to pray, Lord, would you get them home safe in one piece? Well, at least from the waist up. No, I'm going to pray, God, would you get them home safely from head to toe? See, this picture of God's kingdom is not something that's to be separated. It's, it's all-inclusive. Stephen Um puts it this way, the kingdom of God is fundamentally God's sovereign rule expressed and realized through the different stages of redemptive history. It's, it's always at work. This biblical doctrine derives from the truth that God, as the one true living and eternal ruler, always existed and therefore reigns over his creation. So when we pray your kingdom come, it's, it's bigger than just you know, one or two things. We could say it this way if we wanted to throw a little English into it. We could say that the kingdom of God was, the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God has always been, and the kingdom of God will forever be. The very nature of God's kingdom is it's always been going on, and it is always going on. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're, we're really praying for more than just land rights in the Middle East. There's something bigger to our prayers. We are praying that God's ultimate kingdom would come. That all of the external and internal expressions of God's kingdom would happen according to God's time and God's ways, just like he planned them out. We're not just praying for our food. And remember, prayer is not just about you getting your prayer answered. Prayer, according to the scriptures, is about God's will being accomplished. His external and internal will being accomplished. His ultimate will being accomplished. We, we sang of it. His, his kingdom is forever. A mighty fortress is our God. These things are moving. These things are happening. These things will happen. But it's not just about God's will externally and internally in the big picture. Prayer is also about God's will being accomplished in your life and around your life. What does it mean around your life? Well, when we start praying things like your kingdom come, we aren't just praying for our family and our friends and our lives. Your prayers are actually about all people 
everywhere. Maybe you didn't know that. (laughs) When we pray your kingdom come, we are praying about all people everywhere. Every nation, every tribe, every language, every educational background, every socioeconomic background. When we pray, we are part of the most awesome, most incredible, coolest, international, global, universal visionary plan that has ever existed. You see, praying for the kingdom of God is is bigger and better than a presidential candidate. The kingdom of God is is bigger and better than a recruiting class. The kingdom of God is is bigger and better than a, a college education or a retirement plan or a Baptist church. All of those things are fine and good, but the kingdom of God is ultimate. The kingdom of God is best. Can can you feel the vibe yet? When we pray, we are part of something huge. We are part of something astounding. I love how J.C. Ryle describes praying your kingdom come. We express our longing desire that the number of God's converted and obedient people on earth may greatly increase. That his enemies who hate his laws may be diminished and brought low. And that the time may speedily arrive when all men shall do their willing service to God on earth, even as all the angels do in heaven. Doesn't that just sound different than, Lord bless us, we were about to receive, amen. Doesn't that just sound a little bit different than, you know, Lord bless the gift and the giver, you know? There's, there's this thing about the kingdom of God it, It sounds bigger than how we pray. It sounds more majestic. It it sounds more astounding. If we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we see that many times he found himself talking to really nice, really good, religious, church-going folks who prayed really decent prayers, but they did not know God. They could recite the Constitution and bylaws of Leviticus. They could draw diagrams on all of Daniel's visions and dreams, but their hearts were far away from God. They didn't pray to God as Father because they didn't know God as Father, and they did not understand His kingdom. You know, most religions in the world right now, we can find some some written-out prayers. You know, some some worded prayers, And, and the idea is that if you'll take those worded prayers or you take those memorized chants and, and you chant them or you pray them word for word, maybe even read them straight out of a book, if you'll, if you'll do that just word for word, somehow it'll, it'll unlock this, this magic in your life. And all of a sudden you'll, you'll find favor and good things. And I think because that's so rampant in all religions, that might be exactly why Jesus gave us this very pattern. Because he didn't want our prayers to be meaningless repetition. He didn't want our prayers to to be a, a broken record or a digital loop. He wanted our prayers to be full of passion and joy and longing and yearning. He wanted us to be in relationship. Praying your kingdom come is like getting an all expenses paid VIP pass to the coolest place in the universe. I know of at least two people that last Sunday at lunch, they prayed different when they blessed their food 
because of what we sang and prayed and preached last week. And all I can say to that is, do it again. Our, our prayers need to be different and deeper every day because we have to, no, because we get to. Our God is infinitely higher and highest above all creatures. And that God is our God. And more astounding, that God is our Father. Spurgeon says this about what it means to, to pray your kingdom come. We are not satisfied that thou shouldst be anything less than king. Our heart's desire is reign, gracious God, over us and over all men. In other words, there's some part of every single prayer that we pray that that should at least mentally have a dose of long live the king. There should be this joy in God's kingdom. But here's the hard truth. And this hard truth is either going to be something that you're going to ignore or you're going to feel really bad about for, I don't know, a half hour. Or you're going to let it break your heart in all the right ways. And here's the hard truth. Paul Tripp writes, I want my life to be comfortable. I want my schedule to be unobstructed and predictable. I want people to esteem and appreciate me. I want people to affirm my opinions. I want the pleasures that I find entertaining to be available to me. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to live without. I don't want to have to deal with personal defeat or failure. I get mad at someone not because he broke God's law, but because he broke my law. We get impatient with others because they seem to delay the realization of our kingdom's purposes. We get discouraged with God because he brings the very uncomfortable things into our lives that we work so hard to avoid. It is humbling to admit, but I want my kingdom to come and my will to be done. That's the hard truth. If we're really honest with ourselves, our prayers have a lot of my kingdom come in them. So how do we change that? How do do we get away from that? How do we we grow into a deeper relationship with this king of the universe? How do we have a, a deeper joy in God and a deeper joy in his kingdom? Well, I'm just going to toss out three suggestions, just three ways that we might be able to do that. And the first is this. We need to love the sum. I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, It was my understanding there'd be no math this morning when I came to church. I know, but this is good math. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God made known to us the mystery of his will. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. That might be one of the most fascinating verses of Scripture in all of the Bible. See, God has the longest long-range plan in the world. And God's long-range plan is pure and it's perfect. And God's long-range plan will never hit a snag. God's long-range plan will be carried out to the fullest. 
And what is that plan? Well, here's the plan. Everything in history is heading toward Jesus Christ. That's the plan. See, Jesus is not just a nice man. He's not just a great teacher. Jesus is the aim and the goal of all of history. Everything in history is heading toward him. If you believe that, it will change how you live. It will change how you pray. And if you ignore that, it will also define how you live and define how you pray. Vance Havner put it this way. No matter how much you wave a Bible... If you are not gathering with Christ, you are not merely wasting time. You are working against the only unifying force in all existence. Here's the thing about working against the only unifying force in all of existence. You lose. (laughs) There's no way to win that one. You're, You're going to lose. And so the call is to engage in the summing up and the gathering up and everything heading toward Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What what does that look like in real life? How, How could this idea of praying your kingdom come change how you live every day? I heard it put this way once. You weren't just created to go to school and do math. You were created to go to school and do math with thoughts and attitudes and words that reflect a right view of life and a right view of God. Why? Because everything in history is heading toward Christ. Everything is summing up and and gathering up to Christ. You weren't made just to go to work and to fix something or build something or sell something to crunch numbers, or to care for patients. You were made to go to work and fix something and build something and sell something and care for patients and crunch numbers with thoughts and attitudes and words that reflect a right view of life and a right view of God. Why? Because everything in history is heading toward Jesus Christ. Everything is summing up and gathering up to Him. If we're going to be deeper in our joy of the kingdom of God, then we will need to love the sum. We will need to love what God is doing and what he will do. We need to love the sum and also we need to love the serious. Far too many Christians will sit in a prayer group and we'll listen to people share heart-wrenching prayer requests. We'll hear somebody share that their marriage is falling apart or or hear somebody say that they've got a, a wild, rebellious, immoral teenager. We'll hear somebody say that there's this group of people halfway around the world that have never heard about Jesus and they have a, a burden for them. And then sadly, there's, there's always the person in the middle of that conversation that raises their hand and says, hey, I need y'all to pray for me too. The landscape company came by this week and, and they put the wrong fertilizer on the grass. It, it, it killed all the grass. And, and the worst part is, is, is the Art of the Month committee is coming around in two weeks. We, we just don't know what we're going to do. But you just, y'all, we just really need y'all to pray for us. See, if we're honest with ourselves, we are very serious about things that are not true priorities. 
And we are very casual about the things that God says are the priorities, namely that everything in history is heading toward Jesus Christ and gathering and summing up to him. Y'all know by now I I quote John Piper a lot. Part of the reason is is that he's one of of two or three people that, that take truth and say it in a way to me that I either go one of two ways. Oh, or ow. So this is probably more of an owl. Piper says this, the primary reason prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is their insistence on trying to take a wartime walkie-talkie and turn it into a domestic intercom. A tool made for tanks and trenches won't work when you install it in your yacht or the lake cabin or the second, third, or fourth The call to pray is is a serious call. It's not casual. It is a call from the God of the universe inviting us to be in relationship with him and to pray that his kingdom would come for all people, including us. We need to love the sum. We need to love the serious. And we also need to love the surrender. There's a story told about Admiral Lord Nelson and the British fleet defeating the French fleet. And the commander of the French fleet was coming to officially surrender to Admiral Nelson. And as he approached him, he he stuck out his hand to shake his hand. And the British admiral said, Sir, give me your sword. Then I will take your hand. It's no different when it comes to following the king of our souls. Jeff Thomas writes, Christ's kingdom comes when men and women will finish serving themselves and begin to serve him. Lay down your weapons first. The weapons of unbelief, indifference, and hostility to him. End your rebellion against God. Leave serving other kings And serve this great, loving Lord alone. What you really want is your kingdom. But I promise you don't really want that. What you really want is the kingdom of God. Because what you really want is hope. And what you really want is peace. And what you really want is joy. And what you really want is to be satisfied and to be loved forever and ever and ever. And the only way that will happen, the only way you will experience that, is if you begin to love and live these words from Jesus. Our Father, hallowed, holy be your name. And Father, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.